0: How many of you are completely done with Christmas shopping? <laughs> that's, that's not very many. How many of you are hoping I get done pretty quick so that you can beat the crowd to Walmart and, yeah, get one of those little packages wrapped up, you know, the little gift things they put together, you know. At, giving gifts at, at Christmas uh, can often be stressful. i just let you know, if you're looking for any last-minute gifts for me, Danny and Randy have it together you can give me something you know along those lines what they're wearing today to be great right you guys look awesome take that show on the road boys i'm telling you that is that is really now that looks good. I like it. That is tremendous. Uh, who would have ever thought, you know, that that the ugly Christmas sweater would be a thing? Uh, once upon a time, they weren't ugly Christmas sweaters, were they? They were just normal Christmas sweaters that you thought looked really good. You hang on to it long enough, and there you go. So, anyway, but Christmas gift giving can be really, really stressful, can't it? Uh, I, I don't know about you. Some of you are probably really good gift givers, and you you plan all year, and you're so Thoughtful, and you know exactly what everybody would really like. And then there's dudes like me. I'm terrible at, at gift you. I'm just terrible. I don't know if I don't pay attention enough. I don't know if I, I. I would hope that it's not because I don't care enough. But I. I don't. I'm just terrible at giving gifts. I. I am. I am utterly surprised most of the time at what people get from us for Christmas. Do you know why? Because I have nothing to do with it. Nancy takes care of all that stuff for the most part. I just hey, you know it's that's wonderful. They say thank you. It's great. What'd you get? Get, you know? And so, um, anyway, I, am so bad about that. Um, but you know, it's hard to figure out sometimes what people really want and then, okay, did I get them the right thing and, and all that? And, and maybe you wonder, as you sit down every year with your family or friends or whomever at Christmas time, and you wonder, why are we doing this in the first place? I mean, why do we do this? And maybe some of you have gotten to the age where you, you are frustrated by the, the gift giving thing, the whole idea of it all. Uh, it, We know that gift-giving at Christmas did not originate uh, with with just uh, maybe first century Christians and they they say oh well we've got to give a bunch of gifts to all of our family because well the wise men gave gifts to Jesus and so on actually the idea that we have now of giving gifts to family and spending all kinds of money that we don't have uh, for people that we don't ever see to give gifts that we'll probably never use that, that really didn't begin until around in the eighteen hundreds or so and, and that's when it really began the commercialization of Christmas early on of course the very first gifts that were given at Christmas were. Gifts by the wise men uh, in, in symbolism of their worship of Jesus Christ. And yet, how far have we come from that idea, right? And some of you get frustrated by it. Christmas uh, is a time of giving, of course, we know that. Uh, but not just because it's tradition, well, we go shopping and we get these things. It started because God first gave to us. What does the Bible tell us in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved, or God loved the world in this way, that He what? That He gave, right? So we know that from the very beginning, Christmas was about giving, but not like we have it now. It was much more important, much more meaningful, and much more impactful. Our, ser- our sermon series that we're wrapping up today has been called Taking Back Christmas. And what we've been looking at is how can we take back some of what has been hijacked uh, by our world? Music, and and the tree, and the lights, and the Christmas story itself. And today, looking at taking back the gifts. Maybe not literally, but maybe Maybe literally, I guess in some cases, if you don't like what you got, hopefully they gave you a gift receipt. Or the line at Walmart is not too long, or you haven't taken too much back without the receipt. You can still use your driver's license kind of deal, you know what I'm talking about? And so that's, anyway, so th- th- that we're talking about taking back the gifts. Uh, think about the idea this, this Christmas season of what you will do when you sit down today, tomorrow, or the next week, and you give gifts. Some of us will do that in order to impress the people that we're around. That's what society kind of tells us to do. Uh, you see all the commercials, right? Give gifts to impress people. Maybe because you should or because, well, they've given so much to me, I kind of owe them a little something this time of year. We spend, by the way, in today's world on average, $1 trillion on Christmas. $1 trillion. It's a lot. It's with a T. Trillion. It's a lot of money. We spend a trillion dollars. And then we try to figure out how to pay it off later, right? That's what we do. So the credit card companies love us this time of year. We guess at what people want. Maybe we go through the motions of it all. And some of us will sit down and wonder, why on earth are we doing it? We know from Scripture, as I just said, that we give because God first gave to us. God gave so that we might live, and we give because of what we, re- we have received. Giving on God's, uh, from God is, a, is an act of grace toward us, and our giving is an act of worship. And so as we take back the gifts this year, as we take back the idea of giving, let me encourage you. Every time you give a gift at Christmas this year, today, tomorrow, this coming week, whenever, let it be an act of worship. Let giving be an act of worship. Not of worship to that person that you're giving the gift to, but let it remind you that the very first gifts that were given at Christmas by the Magi, the wise men, were given as an act of worship. So when we exchange gifts, let's remember to use it as an act of worship. In Luke chapter 2, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 2, if you turn there, Matthew chapter 2 is where we get this story of the wise man. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. If you don't know anything about the Bible, you showed up on Christmas at church, let me encourage you, get a, get on your phone, look it up, Matthew chapter 2. If you got a Bible in your hand, uh, the Bible's divided into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament, go to the table of contents, you'll see New Testament, go to Matthew, the very first book, and then from there, each book is divided into chapter and verse, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 two, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses. The story of the wise men. Maybe you know a little bit about this from the Christmas songs and Christmas shows that you've seen. How many wise men were there? Do you know? See, some of you were here last week, weren't you? (laughs) Some over here. No clue. We have no idea. We we know that they gave representative gifts and that there were three different kinds of gifts that were given, but we don't know exactly how many there were. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in in the days of King Herod, wise men, or magi, came from the east and arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. That means he went off, by the way. That's a very polite way of saying he lost his mind. He flipped the lid, blew a gasket, however it is that you describe yourself. He went off, deeply disturbed, and as a result, look at the next part, and all of Jerusalem with him. (laughs) The king is not happy. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until they came and stopped above the place, until it, uh, it led them. Until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The wise men. Story of the wise men. Very very simple. The first little part of this is they seek. The wise men see this star, they're they're studies, they're they're studiers of the sky. Astronomers, if you will, astrologers, maybe, we're not exactly sure, but somehow they were scientists who studied what the stars did and so on, and they noticed something different, something unique, something that seemed to stand out to them and call them to follow. Maybe, maybe God spoke to them. Maybe they had studied the Jewish scriptures enough. They were scholars in a varied fashion. They studied things and they knew something's going on. Let's follow this and see what happens. And they're seeking. Verse 1 says they arrive in Jerusalem unexpectedly. At least unexpectedly to everyone else. They seem to know where they were going. They, They, of course, have some myths surrounding them, as I said earlier myth that there were three of them, the myth that they were kings of some kind, the myth that they traveled alone, you know, just, you see the picture there, maybe they were just on their camels, and there's three dudes traveling on a camel through the desert, whatever, most likely they had an entourage, if they were described as wise men, they probably had lots of people with them, they had some servants and so on, and so this whole contingent arrives in Jerusalem unexpectedly, these scholars, these astronomers, these advisors arrive and they say, where is he, this king that we've read about? This king that we've heard about, the one who has been born the king of the Jews. Why did they say they had come? For one purpose. To what? To worship. We want to find this king that we've heard so much about, we've read about. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? We want to worship him. Now the truth is, the wise men didn't fully understand everything about Jesus. There's no way they could. Didn't fully understand. In fact, Mary and Joseph likely didn't fully understand every single thing about Jesus. That began to unfold as his life unfolded. But what we do know is their worship was based upon what they knew about Jesus. They had heard about Him. They thought maybe they were seeking a great king of some kind, maybe even an earthly king. What they were seeking was God Himself. Answers to their biggest questions. Hope, a king to honor, someone worthy of the best that they had to offer. I don't know about you, but that sounds awful familiar to what our world is seeking today. You realize that every single person is born to worship. And so we seek something or someone to give our best to, to pour out our hearts to, to give our lives to. Even at Christmas, we're seeking someone to worship we may not recognize that person as God, but God has created us to worship. We're seeking answers to our biggest questions. Same things really the wise men were seeking. Our biggest questions, who am I? Really, I mean who 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 am I? Who 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 am I supposed to be? Why why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? What happens after I die? We're all asking those same questions. I see young people as they grow up, they want to know, who am I? You see them fishing for it all the time? You see young people just trying to figure this out? Well, I tell you what, here's, here's who I am now, and now here's who I am. You ever get frustrated how much young people change, and they change their interests, and you can't ever keep up with them, and they're moody and all that kind of stuff? Some of it's physiological. Guess what? Some of it is God-ordained. They're searching for who they are. Why am I here? You ever see people that change careers all the time? Can't ever get satisfied in what they're doing. Nothing is ever enough. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? They're searching for those answers. You ever see anybody that's scared to death of death and dying? Don't know what happens when we die. These wise men were seeking something far beyond what they thought they were seeking. We today are seeking answers to our biggest questions, seeking an identity, seeking hope, seeking peace, seeking something or someone worthy of our best. What well, we might have in that little treasure box like the wise men. Our trust, our honesty, our hearts, our very lives. They come seeking someone to worship. And when King Herod, verse 3, says, heard of this, as I said, he was deeply disturbed And then later on, he secretly summons the wise men and and says, Hey, you go and find him and you let me know. Do you realize that some people in your search for who you are and for what God wants you to do with your life and your search for Jesus Christ, some people are going to be bothered by it. Some people will ignore it. The chief priests and the scribes, they didn't care that the Messiah had actually been born. King Herod thought this probably is the Messiah. I better take him out. Some people won't care, but everyone is searching for something or someone to worship. So the wise men seek. second little part of their story, of course, is what? They find. They found what they were looking for. Verse 9, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. Was. God had spoken to them somehow through the Hebrew Scriptures, through what they saw happening in the sky, and based on their limited knowledge, they had followed God's Word, and they found where God was leading them. It wasn't a wild goose chase, by the way. God wasn't hiding from them. I saw a post this morning, I didn't read all of it, but I saw it from a Facebook friend, and said, in the last couple of weeks, I've just realized God works in such mysterious ways. Guess what? No, He doesn't. God does not work in mysterious ways. Mysterious as if, well, I don't know about all this. God works in ways that maybe we don't fully understand at the time because His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God works in different ways from what we expect. Understand? It's not mysterious. I don't know if I can know God. Absolutely you can. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know how God works? Look at Jesus Christ. The wise men followed God. He was not hiding. He put the star there in the sky. Something was happening to lead them to where they knew, where God knew they needed to be. Maybe they didn't fully understand. Maybe you don't fully understand what God is doing. But guess what? In time, God will reveal what He's doing. And if He doesn't, there's a purpose for that too. They found what they were looking for. Some folks never do. I think in our world, some folks make it too difficult to find what God is doing. Well, I don't know how I can understand God at all in His ways. Well, there's a thing called the Bible. Yeah, but I don't understand that either. Well, there's some help for that. Yeah, but I don't know if I have time for all that stuff. We make it too difficult to figure out what God is doing, who He is. Or maybe we think we have to find it within ourselves. I have to find myself. Hey, I'm right here. Um, Here I am. I, I don't have to find myself. Guess what I have to find? I have to find Jesus Christ. Maybe they think they have to find themselves in order to find what they're looking for. But the truth is, God isn't hiding. He wants to be found. And we'll seek Him, the Bible says, or we'll find Him rather when we seek Him with our whole hearts. They find what they're looking for. And then in verse 10... This is when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. And then they enter the house and they find the baby. They're the object of what they saw, they found. Joy and celebration spills over. They find the answers to their questions in Jesus, the hope, their true king. And then what do they do as a result of seeking and finding? They worship. The reason they showed up in the first place. Falling to their knees, it says. They worshiped him. Falling on their knees, a sign of devotion. It's the proper and expected posture when you're in the presence of someone greater than you, someone superior. These magi, these important men from the east, bowing in a stable, maybe a cave, to a king, they believe, who's lying in a manger. Picture the scene for just a second. We only picture them in their stately attire, and yet there they are, all garbed up on their knees in a stable, praising this baby king. They were wealthy and influential and respected, and yet here they are bowing before Jesus Christ. They worshipped Him. It's an expression of gratitude, an expression of complete dependence and submission allegiance, regard for a deity. That's what worship is. They knew what they were to do in the presence of Jesus. They bowed and worshipped Him. Didn't have full knowledge of who He he was. Maybe, maybe not. But they bowed and they worshipped Him. And it says they presented their gifts. They opened their treasures, their treasure boxes, if you will. They opened them. Some of you probably have some jewelry boxes, maybe a little keepsake box. Maybe you've got a safe at your house, and you keep the most important documents and things that are special to you. And maybe those things tell the story of your life, and you've got some things. Maybe it's some jewelry. Maybe it's something very important that you don't want to to disappear. And maybe in case of, of a fire, and some of you have experienced this, a fire in your home, those are the things that you want to go in and get, Think of those things as sort of what the Magi opened up. Things that were extremely special and valuable. Mementos. Things that you would take in case of a fire. And that's what they gave to Jesus. The very best that they had to offer. What meant the most to them. What they knew would be a sign of worship. And they didn't worry. Unlike us. They didn't worry about who was around. They simply fell on their knees and worshipped Jesus. You know, I think one of the main problems in our churches, our evangelical churches today, is that we're too worried about the people around us. I know I can speak from my own experience. I get way too worried about the people around me. I've heard it said over and over. Our deacons have told me this. Listen, Jesus Christ himself couldn't please everybody. So why are you trying? (laughs) That's what we do in our deacons meetings. They just call me out. That's it. Thanks. But it's true, isn't it? We get so caught up in what everybody else is thinking about us that, you know what? I can't raise my hands and worship. I can't fall on my knees when God overwhelms me. I can't live my life with freedom before Jesus Christ. Why? Because, well, I don't know if that's very dignified or not. As if it was dignified for Jesus to be born in a manger. As if it was dignified for Jesus to have no place to lay His head while He walked on this earth. As if it was dignified for Jesus to be hung naked on a cross and crucified publicly. As if it was dignified. And we're worried about being dignified. And we miss worship. They let nothing... Nothing. Keep them from worshiping the Savior. We are so distracted. Maybe even here in church we're distracted. When you look at your Bible app, right? I'm just checking it here on my phone. Posting it on Facebook. I'm just live tweeting the service. By the way, if you want to remove the distractions from your life, i got some advice for you. I've been trying this week. One of the things that I have recognized is that I'm addicted to my phone. Absolutely addicted to it. Just so you know. And I mean addicted. It sort of draws you over and over. What if somebody sent me a message? What if there's something to respond to? What if I'm really that important? Right. (laughs) So so in the past week, I have removed email from my phone. That was one of the hardest things, I'll tell you, the hardest things I've ever done. I, I would check it over and over and over and over. I took it off of there. So, so now I am, I am doing my best to check email only at, at certain times at my computer so that I'm not so distracted all the time. I turned off the notifications on my phone. So you can send me a message. I have no idea. I'll check it at some point. Love you. But I try. i got to break this, this addiction. I'm too distracted. Can't focus on what God wants me to do. I, I'm no longer having my phone next to me when I go to sleep. It's in the other room. Because you know what I do in the middle of the night? Get up and check my email. <laughs> ah, killing myself. So you know what? I am doing my best to make sure that I am not distracted. Because you know what I realize? I can't worship the Lord when I'm distracted. I can't focus on what God wants me to do when I'm distracted. And sometimes it's not just sitting in church that I'm distracted. It's all the time I'm distracted. They didn't let anything. There was no distraction there. Not the animals, not the people that might have been around, not King Herod himself would distract the wise men from going and worshiping Jesus. Nothing was going to distract them. They certainly didn't let embarrassment stop them. They weren't too dignified and proper. They got on their knees before the Lord Jesus and they worshipped Him. And some of us, myself included, would do well to take a cue from these wise men. To let nothing stop us. Not the people sitting next to you, not any distraction, not where we are, not the heat, not the cold. Nothing to distract us from worshipping Jesus. That's the story of the wise men. They show us ultimately in this little story through seeking, through finding, through worship, the foundation of what true worship is about. It includes really two different things, not two different things, two complementary things. The first is humility. I watched a documentary one time on Elvis Presley. Elvis died two months after I was born. Didn't get to see Elvis. But I like Elvis. Like his music. I, I like, I like Tassels Elvis. You know what I'm saying? Sort of sweaty Elvis. That's the one I like. like. Like late 60s, early 70s into the mid 70s Elvis. Kentucky Rain, my favorite Elvis song. Followed by Suspicious Minds. Not so much Jailhouse Rock, but that's that's where I'm at. I like Elvis. So I watched this documentary on Elvis, and it's talking about his life. And it was, of course, a tragic tale because he got addicted to prescription drugs, and eventually an overload of those drugs in his system is what killed him. But every time that Elvis was asked in an interview, "Now, what's it feel like to be the king? And he told him, he there's only one king, and it's not me. Elvis, in his flawed way, was honoring the true king, Jesus Christ. These wise men show up and humbly bow before the true king. Only one is worthy of our worship, devotion, our obedience. And guess what? I'm not him. You're not him. Only Jesus. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the ones who get to come to him who admit they have nothing to offer. have no chance. Jesus always received the broken and the repentant. The only ones that walked away from Jesus were the ones who were unwilling to be broken and repentant. Jesus himself said that God opposes the proud, those that are independent and self-sufficient. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, and he won't, the Bible tells us, turn away from those who humble themselves before him. Those who seek Him find Him when they seek with their whole heart. Those who submit to His instruction realize that He was right all along. And those who respond to His correction realize that God truly is a loving Father. True worship begins with humility. And honestly, if you look yourself in the mirror, isn't it true that sometimes we don't worship because we're too proud? Because, well, I... I don't know. I, I, I figure I can kind of do it my way. Sometimes we don't worship here in church. Sometimes we don't live lives of devotion and obedience because we're full of pride. The foundation of true worship at Christmas, when we give gifts and we recognize this truly is an act of worship, I'm recognizing God's gift as I give to someone else. Give out of humility. Worship out of humility. And then second, foundation of true worship, humility, and offering. We're all looking for someone to give our best to. It says, entering the house, verse 11, They saw the child with with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The best that they had to offer. What's in that treasure box that you carry around? Your time. Your past, your talent, your security, your identity, your future, your dreams, your money, your job, your education, your hurt, your failure, your successes, your relationships, your marriage, your kids. The things that really matter to you. Are you willing to offer those to the Lord? Well, you know what? I'm okay as long as God, he's got me for eternity, right? I mean, I'm going to heaven, right? I mean, so I can kind of do what I want here because I know that that's one day, someday down the road, everything's taken care of. Do you realize that Jesus, when he met the rich young ruler, was drawn to him, had compassion for him? And he said, hey man, I want you to follow me, and here's how you do it. Just go and sell what you've got, all that you have, and you come and you follow me. And this is what the life is going to be like, a life of full devotion. And guess what? The rich young ruler walked away sad. Why? Because he had so much. He was unwilling to offer that to Jesus Christ. Some of us one day will be very sad when we realize that we have not offered truly offered ourselves to Jesus. That's what He wants. We're going to offer all that, the best of us, to someone or to something. And no one is worthy to receive it. No one is more trustworthy with it than Jesus Christ, our King. So this morning, as we think about giving gifts... Something special, something we hope is meaningful to someone else at Christmas time. Let it remind us that everything that we do, all that we have belongs to Jesus. Lord Jesus is all yours. And as I give, as I give, this is a symbolic act of worship that I recognize all comes from Jesus. And as I give this gift, ultimately I am giving my life the best that I have to offer to Jesus Christ only he is worthy and only he deserves it and this Christmas take back the gifts in the sense that everything that you give even that person you don't like that you still have to give something to tonight or tomorrow They're in your family, maybe next to you you don't hit them. But you may have to give something to them, but let me tell you, you can have meaning in that as you recognize this, just the act of giving, is me humbling myself before the Lord, recognizing everything I have comes from Him. I can give because He gave. And I will worship the Lord even in that setting. We're just exchanging gifts. Let's pray together. We're going to close in just a minute with a song. It'll kind of be our closing prayer, our closing challenge, to go tell it on the mountain. And each of us has the opportunity as we give gifts, essentially to tell it on the mountain, that you know what, I love you, I'm giving you this, but let me tell you this, there's someone worthy of all that I have, and his name is Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd take time with your family, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your aunts and uncles, your cousins, whomever. And maybe you'd be so bold this Christmas as to say, folks, if it's all right, I just want to share something before we get started with the gift exchange. I just want you all to know that as much as I love you and we're going to try to give you something special, that what has been given to me is much more special, the life of Jesus. And I'm giving Him all that I am. I just want you to know that. Maybe in some way you'd lead your family this year in the gift giving. But ultimately today... My prayer for you, for me, is that we not leave without ultimately giving ourselves to Jesus Christ. Only He is worthy. You can search your whole life, think God is mysterious, but He's revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. He came, He was born like one of us, He lived like one of us. He died in our place and He was raised to give us eternal life. Submit today. The Bible says He will not turn you away if you come in faith, come in repentance, be received into the life of God, forgiven of all your sin, and be made new. Let that be the Christmas gift that you give to your family this year. Our Heavenly Father, today we do stand to go tell it from the mountaintops that Jesus Christ has been born and He is Lord. Lord, we declare you, we recognize you as the Lord of our lives and of our church. And even of our gift exchange today and tomorrow and this week and whenever it happens. Give us boldness, Lord, to to even say out loud that this gift exchange simply represents what God has given all of us. And the lives that we owe to God. Lord, make us people who worship you without reservation or distraction. Just like those wise men. Thank you, Lord, for this Christmas, for becoming one of us, so that we might know you and enter into your life. We thank you, Lord, for your love and forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.